Welcome in. Happy Thursday. Good to have you. And we got another busy show today. We are we will be finally settling this notion whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I continue to maintain it is not a Christmas movie. Brian, do you have a do you have an early vote on this? I my, my vote is Die Hard to now. me is not a Christmas movie. Of course it is. It's set at Christmas. <laughs> it is set during Christmas. The whole point is they interrupt a Christmas party. Therefore, Christmas movie. All right. We'll fight this out later. We'll do it at 318 with, with Adam Graham. I just, I, I refuse, I refuse to believe it's a Christmas movie, but we'll do that later. Uh, we've got uh, the IBEW also expanding their facilities in Corktown, and it's going to have a, a major impact on EVs. We'll do that in the three o'clock hour as well. Um, but Vladimir Putin today was asked about a possible pr- prisoner swap with Novi's Paul Whelan and Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovitz. And he said that he hoped an agreement would be reached, but said that the U.S. had to listen to Russia's conditions. We want to reach an agreement, and these agreements must be mutually acceptable and must suit both parties. It is not simple. I will not go into details now, but in general, it seems to me that we speak a language that is understandable to each other. I hope we will find a solution, but I repeat, the American side must hear us and make an appropriate decision, one that suits the Russian side. Now, take back a little bit, because when he says that he hopes for an agreement that would be reached, if you have somebody who has been sentenced to 16 years in a hard labor prison, you would think as the judge, jury, and executioner, that that person did something wrong, did something nefarious, did something that they shouldn't have done in your country, broke the law. When you have that type of of sentence, I feel like you would have done the proper due diligence, you would have gone down the right avenues, and you would have come to the conclusion, through the evidence that you collected, that this person did something wrong. And if somebody did something wrong, wouldn't you want them to serve out their sentence because it's lawful above board? But when you say you hope an agreement can be released, now you've tipped your hand. It tells me that you know that this guy isn't a spy. It tells me that you are holding two men from the United States for political reasons, as pawns. We'll talk to David Whelan coming up at 218, Paul's twin brother. Um, This is news today because very rarely do we hear Vladimir Putin speak on this issue. So we'll talk to David Whelan coming up at 218. Uh, Meanwhile, yesterday, the House voted to formally open an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, pushing forward a years-long... GOP investigation into potential wrongful business dealings of President Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden, uh, the the latter who's already facing legal issues. Republicans say that the vote needed and was necessary to give them full authority to continue carrying out their investigation amid stonewalling by the White House. 
And the Democrats have said this is a fishing expedition. There's no there there. It's political stunt. What, what, what is interesting is every Republican voted in favor of the inquiry. And I think that's a big win for new House Speaker Mike Johnson. And I think that that maybe, maybe, there is some teeth to this investigation. Again, I let things play out. I don't want to go all crazy, go off the rails. Let's let an investigation play out. But by every Republican voting in favor for this inquiry, again, this isn't impeachment proceedings. This is a continuing and a strengthening of the congressional powers given to the House under circumstances like this, where they have more power to talk to people, more power to gather facts, gather information. So it's pretty interesting when you consider that a lot of these Republicans, or at least a few handfuls of them, are in very precarious districts. When they won in in the midterms, they won in districts that Joe Biden had won in. So they, they have to walk a very, very narrow political tightrope. But the fact that everybody was on board, I think that there is there is a way to sell this to constituents in those districts. And we'll see if they can do it and if it makes a difference. But th- this is going forward. Uh, meanwhile, Israeli forces arrested dozens of Hamas terrorists they say were sheltering inside a hospital in Gaza today. IDF spokesman Daniel Hagari shared photos uh, and video of militants being paraded out of the hospital with their hands raised. Uh, They said they got over 70 militants that surrendered their weapons and they were being uh, transported for field interrogations. But this is on the heels of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying that more and more Hamas soldiers, Hamas fighters are turning themselves in and potentially could be bringing an end to this conflict sooner rather than later. Meanwhile, Michigan residents who qualify for an additional earned income tax credit starting in early 2024 will be made notified of that. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us uh, to highlight what exactly to look for. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. About 700,000 Michigan households uh, will be receiving an average of about $550. The Whitmore administration says these checks will begin mailing about mid-February, and it takes about six weeks to distribute all the payments. It was earlier this year that the governor signed a tax overhaul to provide relief for retirees and low-income earners in Michigan. The state expanded the state's earned income tax credit from 6% of the federal credit to 30%. The Michigan EITC is designed again for low-income Income earners in the 2022 tax years, those who worked and earned income under $59,187 and had investment income of less than $10,300 or less qualify for this. The Michigan credit provides up to $2,080 for the uh, 2022 tax year and about $2,229 for the 23 tax year, according to a release from Whitmer's office. The Department of Treasury will automatically be sending out these uh, checks, Chris. And if you have moved or you want to make sure the state has your correct uh, contact information, all you have to do is go to michigan.gov. Well, uh, certainly Democrats are touting this as a major win. Um, and and it comes in an election year and, and oh, potentially mm-hmm. hoping that this is a boost. 
Absolutely. You know, it's it's no surprise this has happened before. And yeah, timing is everything, as they say. No doubt about it. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. All right, we got to take a break. Coming up, uh, as I mentioned, President Vladimir Putin in Russia. Talking about Paul Whelan. Talking about Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovitz. Saying that they hope an agreement can be reached and a prisoner swap can take place. Very rarely do we hear Vladimir Putin weighing in on issues like this. We'll talk to Paul Whelan's twin butter brother, David Whelan, next here on JR Afternoon. So if there's anything we know about Vladimir Putin, he's a pretty secretive guy. Very rarely does he tip a, a hand or weigh in on generally controversial issues in in Russia. But he did so when he was asked about Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovitz saying that we want to reach an agreement, and these agreements must be mutually acceptable and must suit both parties, which isn't necessarily a surprise. But when you have somebody convicted in your country, uh, at least here in the United States, if you've gone through the proper channels and and prosecuted somebody, we think that you did something wrong. Now, mistakes are made, but we think you did something wrong. Very rarely do we say, well, but, you know, anything can happen. (laughs) So it it is strange to me, the way that was phrased. And look, we've heard Dmitry Peskov, the the Kremlin spokesperson, and and he has said many of the the same issues that talks are ongoing, and they would be they would be open to a prisoner swap. But very rarely do we hear Vladimir Putin weigh in on important issues like this one. David Whelan's the brother of Paul Whelan, and joins us. David, it's good to have you back. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. Was it was it as shocking to you as it was to maybe some of us that Vladimir Putin weighed in on Paul's situation? A little bit. Uh, he was doing his uh, what used to be an annual uh, phone uh, call-in sort of program, um, and he hasn't done it in a while because things haven't been going so great in his country. Uh, but he was doing it last night, and it's always a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, because you've got citizens from all over the country calling in about, you know, the local gymnasium is broken and things like that. So I was—I mean, you never know what's going to be asked. So I was surprised that Paul uh, Paul's freedom was uh, one of the questions that anybody was able to ask. How how um, how important do you think this is for 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 your brother and and his mental state? We we know that he's been critical of of the white house uh here here recently um hoping that maybe he would have been been traded for uh by now um how do you think your brother is doing what what are you hearing from from your parents in those conversations with him oh his morale is very low i think that that, uh we all were hoping that um an exchange would happen we know that the u.s government has been really doing what they can um, and and so, it, you know, in a way, it was funny to hear Vladimir Putin say what he did, because although they're open to it, which, of course, they would be open to it, because that's the whole point of taking hostages in the first place. Um, an offer that the U.S. government made to them last year for Paul, the Russians just sort of ignored. They never responded to. So in a way, it was almost good to get a response from the Russians, even though they rejected a second offer this year for Paul, um, because at least we know then, you know, that they are engaged and and they may be considering things and of course with a rejection then the u.s government knows what not to offer the next time is that where you think the the comments of you know we we're speaking the same language and and we have to make sure that 
a deal fits the Russian side? Is that where you think that comes from? Oh, for sure. Yeah, the uh, the Russian government is all about things being equal. And, uh, you know, if, if you push them, they're going to push you back. And um, I think that there's a huge amount of face that he could lose if there was a feeling that he um, let American citizens go, which are probably his most valuable hostages, and uh, and didn't get something valuable in return. And I think that the, the challenge really is, that, you know, how to satisfy both President Putin and, and the person that he has identified in his uh, in the Kremlin who is handling these exchange discussions, two of which, of course, were successful with um, Trevor Reed and Brittany Griner, and at least two or three offers have been made that weren't weren't successful. So, um, you know, there have been these discussions for since 2021, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, they just haven't led to uh, Paul's freedom yet. Is there a sense that where they are on on these negotiations, where um, what pieces may be up? Is there any sense from your family that you're getting that that uh, obviously this is still ongoing uh, and it is top of mind for them? But is there is there any sense where they're at with this? There isn't. I think one of the really remarkable things um, is that people from the State Department speak to Paul as often as they can. Um, and whether it's uh, people speaking sort of through the U.S. Embassy or calling him directly at, at the prison in Mordovia, they try to keep him as up to date as they can because they know that it eats away at his morale to, to only be hearing the Russian side of all of these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so, you know, we've been really thankful that they've been as clear as they can with him and with us about uh, what they can share and what they can't. But really, I think John Kirby said it best. He's the uh, spokesperson for the National Security Council, and he was uh, on a, uh, a plane over the last weekend, I think it was. And uh, he said, you know, we're really back to the blackboard at coming up, you know, what's the next concession we can make in order to bring Paul and bring Mr. Gershkovich home. And, and I think that that's where they are right now. It's it, essentially they're back at square one. How How big of an impact or factor do you believe the United States's role with Ukraine and and their willingness to uh, supply money for munitions for uh, for weapons to use against Russian soldiers in that conflict in in Ukraine. How, how big of an impact do you think those moves by the United States, certainly the sanctions, are uh, in these negotiations for your brother? Probably not very significant at all. I think that the uh, the Kremlin, the Russian government, is a very complicated criminal uh, organization, and so they are used to running a lot of scams and a lot of you know things going on at the same time. And so I don't know that they would necessarily view Paul's being held hostage um, as being related to anything else. Um, and so th- they will be happy to make a deal for Paul so long as whatever they get in exchange for Paul is valuable to them. Um, and regardless of whether they're at war with somebody or at war with somebody's ally, I don't think any of that makes a difference. Does your does do you and your family um, maintain hope that that a deal will get done? Um, uh, obviously, before his 16 year sentence. But is there is there still uh, hope there on your family's behalf that, that there's going to get a, a deal done? I think that there was a, a little bit of hope. There's not a lot of hope. Um, I, I think we knew that when uh, first uh, Konstantin Yaroshenko and then Victor Boot were both sent back to Russia, um, that the U.S. really was didn't have a lot of concessions to give up. Uh, and I think that that's where we're at the point now, which is really um, they're still trying to find concessions to make to Russia that Russia will accept that, that whole uh, equivalency so that Russia gets something that's um, valuable to it. 
And, uh, and, and they're really just, I mean, realistically, there just aren't a lot of concessions that can be made. And so, unfortunately, um, while we remain hopeful because we can see that the U.S. government is, is literally working on this every day, um, at the same time, that doesn't mean that success is necessarily foregone conclusion. You mentioned the concessions that the United States can or, or cannot make. Do you think that a deal for Paul would include um, a Russian prisoner or or some or, or can it be other factors? Can it be um, can it can it come in the way of of economics or uh, or anything like that? Does it have to be a person for person swap or, or, or is there room, do you think, for other avenues to get Paul home? I think other hostage takers uh, like Iran, like Venezuela, um, like Myanmar, have been much more flexible about what they're willing to extort from the United States. Um, so, you know, Danny Foster, uh, Fenster came home um, from uh, Myanmar, uh, and yeah. I think that there was money exchanged there. Iran, <clears throat> Americans came out and there was, you know, sort of a... Uh, money avail- made available there. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Russians, I have never seen anything except people, um, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, Americans, uh, Trevor Reed and Brittany Griner, or whether it was Frode Berg from Norway or, you know, other people that the um, the uh, the Russians have released. It's always involved uh, another human being coming back. And to your estimation, where does the United States sit on potential humans to, to deal in the trade like this? Well, I mean, even the Russians have said there are hundreds of Russians serving long sentences in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So there really are a number of people if the Russian government cared about them. Um, there's the son of a, 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 a um, state government representative is in um, a prison in the United States. They're all, I mean, there really are plenty if the Russian government were motivated to consider them. And at this point, whoever is managing the discussions from the Russian side has, has decided yeah. that Essentially, all of the Russians in the U.S. Uh, um, facilities are not people that they're that bothered about getting home. Hmm. Uh, David Whelan, thanks again for your time, as always. Uh, appreciate uh, you shedding some light on this. And uh, we continue to hope for the release of your brother very soon. Thanks so much, Chris. It was good talking to you again. Yep, you got it. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Interesting story out of Politico today. Apparently, there have been some chatter on the inside of the White House that Kamala Harris says that the president, members of the administration, should be more outwardly sensitive to the humanitarian situation unfolding in Gaza, where thousands of Palestinians have been killed by Israeli strikes in recent weeks, and they should be more pro-Palestinian. Um, but... Kirsten Allen, Harris's press secretary, uh, wrote on X, as I told Political a week ago, there is no daylight between the president and vice president, nor has there been. And media should be cautious about discerning, uh, about including anonymous sources who are not privy to their private conversations. One source telling Politico that Harris believes the United States should be tougher on Israeli, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and should be more forceful about pushing a two-state solution. And I I direct you to a piece that was published in the Detroit News on December 6th. It is from and written by Nasser Badoon, who is running for U.S. Senate here in the state of Michigan under the Democrat platform. 
Um, he says, as the United States approaches its next presidential election, it's vital to assess the leadership and decision making of the current president, Joe Biden. President Biden's handling of the Israeli uh, of the Israel Gaza conflict has thrown his presidency into a tailspin with anti-war Arab American and Muslim voters. These key constituencies in swing states overwhelmingly supported him in the last election. They are likely to support him again. Look, you put the the, the puzzle pieces together here. Once you once you're able to put them together, then you can start seeing the full picture. And the full picture here, I think if if these sources inside the White House are to be believed, these sources who are close to the vice president, who are close to the president, if they are to be believed, then look look at this as a as a purely political decision. Purely political. Because there are members of the electorate that voted for President Joe Biden in 2020. And I'm not, this isn't, uh, you know, a broad brush painting radio. Okay, there are plenty of Arab Americans or Muslim Americans in the United States that didn't vote for Joe Biden. But there is a certain electorate that did, that fall under that umbrella. And so, if Nasser Badoon's to be believed, they won't be voting for them again. And we've seen, in the in the aftermath of October 7th, when Hamas terrorists stormed into Israel and killed thousands of people, that there was a, um, anger that the president in that aftermath, in the wake of what happened, came out and stood by Israel. Now, to most people, that's not a surprise. Israel is, if not the biggest, one of the biggest allies of the United States. So if the vice president, behind closed doors, is urging the president to become more compassionate towards Palestinians, to become more understanding of the humanitarian crisis and be outwardly projecting that it is it is for political gain it is to try to rack in votes and that tells me that even somebody like the vice president is starting to see the cracks the cracks in the concrete the cracks on the sidewalk that it is starting to become a little more unsteady it is shifting to where you start crunching the numbers and, and doing the, the math in some of these areas, in important swing states like Michigan, where some of these polls have showed that Donald Trump has a 10-point lead over Joe Biden today. And again, nothing's permanent. That changes. It ebbs and flows. But But there could be cracks that even those inside the White House, inside the Eisenhower building, those inside the gates, they know that this cannot be business as usual. Something needs to be shaken up here, a change in tone, a change in messaging, or else they're in real danger of losing this election. Am I reading too much into that? I'd love to hear from you. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. It just seems to me that if you're willing to go to the president and say, look, we need to, we need to change on this, and 
that is that to me is a bit of an admission. And again, look, uh, the the vice president's staff says this is nonsense. What else are they going to say? What else are they going to say? Yeah, yeah, she's trying to change his mind, or yeah, she's trying to plead with him to 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 do a one eighty. No, come on. But the reality is, is to me, it makes sense that they're starting to see where where their vulnerabilities are. And it also would put, in my mind, it would also put a lot of Democrats in a really precarious position. You know, the Debbie Wasserman Schultzes of the world. Or the Chuck Schumers of the world. Those who already align with Israel. Those who already understand the relationship, the important relationship that the United States and Israel share. They've been going out and and have been beating the drum for the administration, talking about the importance of this relationship and standing strong with Israel. Look, is Benjamin Netanyahu perfect? No, no, of course not. Nobody's perfect. But the United States needs to stand with Israel. Now, the United States can also show compassion for Palestinians. The United States can, can understand that there is a lack of humanitarian aid. They're not mutually exclusive. Both things can be true. But if you're talking about a change in tone, a change in narrative, well, that's different. That that tells me that you understand that there is a a, a chance that you're losing voters, important voters, to get reelected. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. In the meantime, there's a Republican-led effort to strip Harvard and other higher education institutes of federal funding and gaining steam as calls for Congress to defund any institutions that allow anti-Semitism on campus continue to grow. I told you this weeks ago. I told you this, that, that this was a real possibility that lawmakers were going to look at universities that weren't doing enough to ensure that a segment of their student uh, population was, they felt unsafe, they felt unsecure, and they felt like the universities at large were turning their backs on them. That they they were not being heard. You know, squeaky wheel gets the oil. So when when there are protests on campus that are calling for, that are pro-Palestinian uh, organi- organizations and groups on campus that are that are demonstrating. Well, Squeaky Wheel gets the oil. They're going to get the coverage. They're going to get maybe what they demand in terms of talking with the administrations, talking with the deans and the presidents. Squeaky Wheel gets the oil. But I told you that there was there was something bubbling underneath that politicians were going to go, oh, we, we can't let this just go. We can't let this just skate by. And when Claudine Gay and presidents at MIT and Penn displayed just a real lack of, I don't even know if it's empathy, critical thinking, I don't know, just, just say the truth, and then have to backtrack or resign or look to the board to fight for your job, ugh. I told you that, that funding was was going to be 
targeted next. And now lawmakers look like that's where they're going to head in places like Harvard, where they just haven't done enough or gaffes a, a plenty. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. There's been a lot of rallying behind Lansing over the last couple of days. Why? Because a column in a Detroit newspaper called it a sad little city. We will have maybe the biggest cheerleader for Lansing, Andy Shore, the mayor, next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. If you ever wanted to see a columns version of a swirly, go ahead and read Nancy Kaffer's column in the Detroit New, the, the Detroit Free Press. It, it's the equivalent of giving your little brother a noogie. What what are what are we doing here? Her her latest piece in the Detroit Free Press is a real doozy, and I maintain it's just for clickbait purposes. Uh he, let me give you the first couple lines here. It struck me again last week as I drove down uh, around downtown Lansing looking for a parking lot that I was told was right across from the Lansing State Journal where I plan to work for the day. This is a sad little town. I go to Lansing as infrequently as possible for someone in my position, which turns out to be not very often at all. But I still remember the first time I traveled to the state capitol. Yeesh, I thought to myself, these are the people who look down on Detroit? And then she went on to say, well, Michigan should just move the capital back to Detroit. Do we have a flushing sound effect? <laughs> it was just a wild article. Oh, and then, by the way, we can all probably agree with Gretchen Whitmer here. When Nancy Kaffer said, for what it's worth, I ran this past Whitmer last spring at, Mackinac, at the Mackinac Policy Conference. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, everybody finally joined the party. Andy Shore is the mayor of Lansing, uh, and he joins us. I- I'm I'm so sorry you're the mayor of a sad little town, Andy. I'm, I apologize for that. You know, we have we have people who are printing shirts now that say "sad little town" with a picture Good. of Michigan. Although it, it may look a little bit like the middle finger, but uh, um, it's it, you know people here are, are uh, well. To be honest with you, at first they were pretty pissed off. Um, you know, saying that we don't have pride in our city, saying that uh, the parking thing was a little weird. Like we're, we actually, I get more complaints about not having enough parking than having too much parking, but having parking around the Capitol so it's accessible to Michigan residents is usually a good thing. Um, so, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it, we were very, very upset about it when it came out. And then, you know, we found out it was supposed to be tongue in cheek, but to be honest with you, ask anybody here and they didn't think it was funny. Well, I don't know if it's tongue in cheek if uh, if a writer asks the governor whether or not they should move the 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 capital back to Detroit. I, I'm not really sure. It's it's interesting um, because look, Lansing is not immune from issues like every other American city in this country. Everybody has problems. Everybody is facing an uphill climb one way or the other. And then everybody shines in their own way. Um, you said the, there was a bit of a, an outrage reaction to this article. How, what's it been like in the days since? How have people reacted? I'm still outraged. I've got, I've got residents. I've got business owners. I had a business owner call me and he said he demanded a retraction. We have a lot of people who are inviting her <laughs> because they want they want to show her what, what real tacos taste like, and they want to show her, um, you know, what a, what a growing city we are. There's still a lot of people who are really upset about it. I, I've had a lot of people tell me they're canceling their free press subscription. Um, 
but there's, there's a lot of folks that are upset about it. Now, again, um, there's a lot of pride in our city. So people are, are penning articles talking about how great Lansing is. I tell you, this isn't a Lansing versus Detroit thing. I love Detroit. And a lot of people here love Detroit. We go there, you know, often. Um, but that doesn't mean that Lansing isn't also a great city and we can't both be great cities, you know, for different reasons. So th- there's just, there's so much good going on here, so much growth um, that it's, there's a lot of people that were very upset about it, me included. And, and again, I didn't, I didn't see it as funny. I was talking to a business owner this afternoon who said, look, you know, he said, I know funny, I'm a comedian and that's not funny. <laughs> so, uh, all right, put your salesman hat on then. Uh, why is why is Lansing uh, why is Lansing this this place to be? Um, physically, we are in the middle of the state, um, and that's that's you know a benefit of the city. It's easy to get to no matter where you are. Um, Andy, that doesn't country. matter to Nancy Kafer. That doesn't I matter know, to doesn't. her. It's just a short drive, a, a, a little bit more in the time in the car. That's it. Well, I, I tell you what, I've, I've been through Detroit traffic and, and uh, or outer <laughs> suburban Detroit traffic. I would disagree with that. But, you know, we, we just have a ton going on here. We have amenities. We have, you know, if this is the most, one of the most affordable cities in the nation. Um, and we were rated the most affordable city in the nation a few years ago. So you have a lot of young people that are moving here because they can afford it. We're building housing. Um, you know, we, we have our own stadium. We don't have the Detroit Tigers, but we have our own ballpark here. Um, we have museums. Um, and we're in a capital city. We, we are where people come for, for government, for the state government to make decisions. Um, we are, are you know, a, a leader amongst other cities. I serve on the U.S. Conference of Mayors Board. We keep uh, announcing all these great things. Today, I believe we were told we were one of the best cities for businesses to, to be in without, throughout the state of Michigan. Uh, we're one of the best cities for seniors to go. We've been actually been rated one of the best cities to remote work. Um, so there's just a ton going on here in Lansing, whether it's one of our corridors, whether it's downtown, which we're building up. Um, and again, you know, anyone who has to do anything with the government, they come here. We're proud of it. Um, we, we've got restaurants. We've got bars. We've got shopping. Um, so it's, is, it, is it as big as Detroit? It is not. Um, we are the sixth biggest city in the state, 113,000 people, but our daytime population is much higher than that. Um, and again, we're, we're very proud. So when you say that we don't have pride and, and you go after us, that, that energized a lot of people here. Um, and pissed off a lot of people here because we are very, we have a lot of pride. We are, you know, we are a manufacturing community with, uh, with two GM plants. We're going to have, um, we're going to have a new $2.7 billion automotive plant, uh, for building batteries here. So there's a lot of pride here. And, and, uh, I think her editorial caught a lot of us really off guard because we're such big, many of us are such big Detroit supporters. So you've you, you've talked to some business owners. You've talked to some people. Uh, wh- what's the the rallying cry? You said there's shirts being made, but but how are people responding now in the aftermath? I, I think you know. I, I think there was a lot of um, a lot of anger that led to a lot of pride um, to show that she was wrong. She probably she must have gotten about fifteen or twenty letters to the editor from people who um, were not happy. Um, so there's a lot of people who want to to share how wrong she is. Um, there was actually been, been editorials and things throughout the state. I, the Alpena News did an editorial talking about how wrong it was. There was a radio station in Grand Rapids that did something about it. Um, I think that it almost made it look like, um, like like Lansing was a microcosm of everybody else. And if someone is going to, to go after us in that way, they can go after anybody else. Uh, and again, I don't think anybody wants to go back on Detroit 
they just want to show that um, that Detroit's a great city, but there are many great cities in Michigan. That's probably why the governor ignored her when uh, when asked about it. <laughs> Uh, FYI, through the grapevine, I think Nancy Caffer is from Alabama. So if we want to swing down and punch <laughs> down, uh, there's a li- maybe a little more, f- more fuel to your fire. Uh, Andy, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, l- let's keep in touch. I know you guys got a lot going on there, so we'll talk again soon. Anytime. We'll, we'll be pitching everything so your, your listeners can come up to Lansing and have a good time to visit. And uh, we'd love to have all your folks up here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. That's Andy Shore, the mayor of Lansing. Just a, mayor of a sad little town. Just real, real sad little town. They got terrible tacos. Everything. It's just awful. Just an awful place. Just nonsense. Nonsense. For somebody who is, uh, you know, so progressive, it seems weird that we're just taking swipes at other other communities in the state. I don't know. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. Um, Brian, uh, for welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you. Um, you're the movie buff on the show. Okay. I still disagree that <laughs> Die Hard's a movie. We'll clear that up coming up at three. Disagree that Die Hard's a movie. I I disagree that it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. That. I'm pretty sure it's a movie. That I think we can agree on. Um. Did you see what Netflix released today? No, what? Beverly Hills Cop 4. Oh, really? Axel F is really? out or is coming out uh in the summer in the summer, summer of 2024. Oh, so Axel Foley is they back. They just talked about it today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they released a trailer today. Oh, really? You know it's funny. When was the first Beverly Hills Cop released? In the eighties, uh, late eighties, early eighties? Right now, eighty four. Okay, mid eighties. Yep. I mean, you know, the action is different now, right? Like action sequences and gunfire and all that stuff is very. So it's like if you were to look, if if you were to look at this and say, uh, watch this movie, you're like, oh, this is cool, but then. <laughs> You go back and say, "Well, this is the fourth one in an installment." Go back and watch the first one. It's like it's like watching, uh, you know, the, the the recent Star Wars movies and then going back to watch the first one. Yeah, like it's just it's worlds apart. So it'll be pretty cool. Uh, but we, we got Adam Graham coming up, coming up at three eighteen. We can run that by him too. But uh, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Cop Four. I and I think I haven't seen the whole trailer yet, but I think he's still rocking the lion's jacket. Oh, of so, course he'd have to. Good news. Yeah. I wonder if any but be uh will take place in Detroit. Well, uh of what I saw in the trailer, again, I saw it very briefly. Um you saw the Beverly Hills sign, so he's still in Beverly Hills or at least is at some point in the movie. We went when we saw the original one, I'll tell you a brief story here, personal story. There's the scene at the beginning where he uh, of the very first one where he's in the back of the cigarette truck and it's flinging yes. him around and it ends up in an abandoned lot in somewhere in Detroit. I worked at a junkyard at the time. We had just towed a car off of that lot. <laughs> so it was what? cool. Yeah, we we went we, we towed abandoned cars back to the junkyard when they got tagged and we we we, we my older brother and I went to see the movie. We thought, hey, we were just there towing a car. <laughs> was that was that was the car in the movie? No, no. We had towed the oh, car okay. before they right. filmed. That's that's awesome. It's that's very, very cool. It's one of those weird things where you see something on screen where you've been. I don't know why. I always think that's cool. You're like, oh, my God, we were there. We were there. Cool. 
Um, I will say, uh, I would rather, aren't they supposed to be putting up a RoboCop statue somewhere in Detroit, too? Uh, at one point, Isn't that it was supposed to happening? be over by the the old train station. Then I heard the Science Center. But, yes, it's supposed to be going somewhere. I'm just not sure. I'd, rather have, I'd rather have a statue of Eddie Murphy in a lion's jacket somewhere. Give me that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just as important as RoboCop for the city. Statue was completed in 2021, and as of 2023, is in storage at an undisclosed location. Um, this story from M Live uh, is from November 9th. It's real and it's spectacular. Detroit's massive bronze RoboCop statue was constructed years ago, but it's just waiting to be displayed. Yeah. Um, haven't seen I don't see why yet, but it 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 does look like an enormous statue. Um but yeah, give give me a Eddie Murphy statue in a lion's jacket. That's what I'm talking about. Um all right, lots to do still today, three o'clock hour. And get you caught up on a couple of, of headlines uh today. Vladimir Putin was asked about a prisoner swap for Novi's Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovitz, the Wall Street Journal reporter, and he said we want to reach an agreement. And these agreements must be mutually acceptable and must suit both parties. We did talk to David Whelan, Paul Whelan's twin brother. If you missed that conversation, thegreatvoice.com. You can go back and and listen to that interview. Um, And and I just asked David, you know, is there still hope? And he says there is. um, But as these swaps, as these prisoner trades um, happen and Paul isn't a part of them, that hope diminishes a little bit. And and Paul's release isn't assured. So there is hope, but it's very slim. Uh, so if you want to go listen to that, thegreatvoice.com. Uh, the House yesterday also voted to, uh, to open an official impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, pushing forward this years-long investigation spearheaded by the GOP into potential wrongdoing and wrongful business dealings between Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden. Um, and this is just going to give the House more ability. It's going to give them more juice, more power to conduct this investigation. Also, Israeli forces arrested dozens of Hamas terrorists that they say were sheltering inside a hospital in Gaza on Thursday. Um, an IDF spokesperson shared photos online um, of people walking out with their hands up. Uh, and they say over 70 Hamas militants surrendered their weapons and they were Uh, being transported for interrogation. Uh, So that is underway uh, as well. And and Benjamin Netanyahu said said that they were starting to see dozens and dozens of of Hamas fighters start to turn themselves in. Um, And you hope that if enough do it, you start bringing an end to this conflict and you start allowing humanitarian aid to flow in as needed. Um, but, But we're just not there yet. Meanwhile, a groundbreaking for the University of Michigan Center for Innovation will take place uh, this afternoon in downtown Detroit. It's a multi-million dollar center. It's expected to change the landscape of the area and tie in with several already established education and innovative centers downtown. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us to take a little closer look. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. And you know, this groundbreaking is taking place as we speak. This $250 million campus is going to sit between Cass and Grand River and between Elizabeth Street 
and West Columbia Street. It's on a four-acre parcel of land. The center is being touted as a world-class research, education, and entrepreneurship center. The plans call for three buildings on this site, and that includes a new tech incubator to join a 200,000-square-foot facility, which will be located in the to-be-restored Loyal Order of the Moose Lodge building on Cass. The third building will be a brand-new 300-unit residential building on Cass Avenue. Land for this project was contributed by the Illich Organization. Construction is expected to take three years. The center will be funded uh, several ways. $100 million from a gift from Stephen M. Ross, $100 million from the state of Michigan, a land donation from Olympia Development, and an additional $50 million will be raised from donors. This is all part of a $1.5 billion project to renovate the District of Detroit, which is headed up by Stephen Ross and the Illich family. Chris, this is the same project that we've talked about in the past that has had mm-hmm. several stops and starts. The Innovation Center was supposed to be on the site of that former failed Wayne County Jail, if you remember where that was. Yep. Yeah, and it's nice that this is really going to start getting underway. And and you talked about the different donations. Obviously, S- Stephen Ross, um, one of the, the, the big donors to the University of Michigan, um, and then obviously Olympia getting in the mix. Uh, the Illiches mm-hmm. is is huge. Um, and this is just, again, another big piece of the development downtown. We have seen the explosion. The Hudson building is, is, is underway, uh, being built as well. So a, a lot of really big projects happening downtown. Yeah, these are the really big ones, and they are, you know, as you said, they're going to change the landscape of how we see downtown Detroit, not to mention they're going to bring traffic down to Detroit, traffic meaning foot traffic, people traffic, which is what they are really after here. Yeah, maybe we should move the capital downtown. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Uh, Marie Osborne. (laughs) We've talked about that before, haven't we? (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Marie. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. All right, got to take a break. We're talking Christmas movies next. Die Hard, is it a Christmas movie? We'll catch up with Adam Graham, the film critic at the Detroit News, next. Well, sometimes the stars just align so nicely. On on a day when, not even that long ago, when, when a huge trailer comes out and Eddie Murphy back in action as Axel Foley... Uh, Adam Graham joins us, the film critic at the Detroit News. Adam, good to have you. Hey, it's good to be here. How's it going? Uh, well, I didn't know that trailer seen... was coming this morning. That trailer took I had back no idea. And it totally. The course of my morning. <laughs> and what did you think of it? Oh, you know what? Like, I was bummed slightly because I had to watch the trailer to write about it. Um, I I don't watch trailers. I stopped doing that as a kind of job uh precaution um i find that it's best when i see movies when i just know as little as possible and so i honestly i don't watch trailers so i had to watch this one and you know what it's just a teaser they kind of hit the they literally hit the notes on the original axel f score um this movie's been talked about forever um the last beverly hills cop Beverly Hills Cop 3 was 1994. We're talking 30 years or 40 years after the um, original Beverly Hills Cop. So I just want to, I just want to, I want to get it over with. Let's, let's, let's see Beverly Hills Cop 4 already. And then we can, um, then we can go from there. But look, when you, when you take this long off from a franchise, 
uh, it can be a good thing. And I hope that like they kind of retool, make the things that worked best about the first one pop again. And um, anytime you see Eddie Murphy back in that Lions varsity coat, I think there's a little bit of uh, excitement around these parts. I said, I go, I uh, forget the RoboCop statue. I need Axel. I need an Axel Foley statue in the in the Lions jacket. What What is they the deal with the RoboCop statue? Do we know? Before the RoboCop thing ever gets up. <laughs> yeah, where where? Why isn't that thing up yet? It is a local mystery that every two or three years someone begins to unravel, and then they discover that it's ready to go up. It's we're we've, we're just clear, clearing those final hurdles. And then it goes away again. And I think the last time we went through this cycle was maybe 2022. So maybe okay. uh, like so the I'm Groundhog in 2024, it'll, we'll, we'll, the story will come back again. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. You got to settle. You got to settle. I, I guess you're the you're you're the voice of reason here. Die Hard, a Happy Christmas movie, yes or no? Yeah, 100% a Christmas movie oh. and not even in like on a technicality. Um, this is a movie where run DMC's Christmas and Hollis is played. This is a movie where somebody has a machine, someone's killed and it says, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. I mean, this Christmas is all over Die Hard. I I think it's 100%. Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie as well. All right. Uh, I guess I Die Hard 2 is underrated or something. I'm not a big Die Hard fan anyway. Oh, come on. Uh, I know. I get a lot of flack it's for like, that. I it think is it's one a of the purest, one of the purest, greatest, most simple and effective action movies of all time. There's a reason why it was the blueprint for action movies for like the next 15, 20 years after. It's it's I just, the best. It's hard for me to accept it as a Christmas movie. I understand it takes place during Christmas. It just it doesn't scry. There's no, I need rosy cheeks and marshmallows in my hot chocolate. It's just, it's, it's, it's the antithesis of Christmas. Um, well, it's, it's, right, it's so, a different kind of Christmas movie, but it's definitely a Christmas movie. It's like but Krampus or whatever. <laughs> That's a Christmas movie too. And we're yeah. talking, look, there, there's Christmas movies that make you feel good inside and Die Hard does make me feel good inside. But if that is a prerequisite, then it, you're just talking about a, a different kind of Christmas movie, but it's still a Christmas movie. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Apple's still an Apple. Uh, all right. L- yeah. Let's talk about this list of Christmas movies because, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, you it can get caught up because there's so many good ones out there. People like this one or that one. But what is if if you're uh, if you're talking to somebody who's, you know, wanting to sit down, binge Christmas movies what are like the top five, top ten that you got to get to? Well, you know, I think that the Christmas movies are like Christmas traditions. And whatever fits your tradition is kind of where your heart lies with these films. If you're if if you if you come up watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation every year, then that's kind of where uh, you know, you have your own memories baked into that because it's it's who you saw it with and, and the setting and, you know, what blanket you were underneath and, and what cookies you were eating at the time. Uh, and for me, I, I've always been like, I'm just a big National Lampoon's uh, Christmas vacation mm-hmm. guy. Um, and now we're now at the point in our culture where, you know, Clark Griswold's script uh, Chicago Bears corduroy hat yeah. has been has like come back in the culture like two or three times. And every year it's like, oh my, he's, he's like, 
he's like a god of cool now in that in that super retro hat. Um, so I I, I don't know. You could buy the jersey, movie. I think. Yeah, you can get the Griswold uh, Bears jersey, yeah. which is which is yeah. classic. Um, it's like the best Bears jersey you can wear because around here you can't get mad at anybody for wearing like a Griswold jersey. Um, Correct. So yeah, I, I love National Lampoons. I think that Elf, which I think we're on the 20 year anniversary of this year, um, was a really really nice addition to the Christmas canon. It's kind of like that pure childlike Will Ferrell performance. Um, maybe maybe the best that he's done on screen. Uh, and and you know now there's like my nephew was in a production of Elf the Musical at his elementary school. So there's like new generations being raised with that as a Christmas classic around that same time. I think the same, the same fall or the same winter as maybe even open the same day in theaters was love actually. And I thought that love actually, it was just such an overwhelmingly sweet, um, absolutely 100% centered on Christmas movie. And I think as time goes on, we sort of look at some of the relationships uh, in that movie in a in a societal sense in a different way than we did but it's at the time especially and if you catch it now uh, in the right mood there's just nothing more purely fun and 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 and, and magical and funny than uh more so than than love actually I, I i just love that movie um going back you know there's there's stuff like like you know if you want to have fun with it, even like Lethal Weapon, if we're talking about action movies, um, Lethal Weapon was written by Shane Black. He's a guy who wrote a bunch of action movies that kind of all take place at Christmas. He also did uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight with Samuel L. Jackson and Gina Davis. That's a Christmas movie. He did a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang in 2004, 2005 with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. That's a Christmas movie. He did The Nice Guys. That was a movie with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. That's a Christmas movie. So you've got all sorts of those Christmas movies. And then you've got your classics. Uh, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Christmas Story. White Christmas. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's where your heart lies. And, and you know, or you, if you just want something with Christmas in it, you can switch on Hallmark and watch any number of generically interchangeable but that's the fun of them uh formulaic uh christmas movies um you know with with either lacey shaber or dean kane or any combination thereof um so there's there's, like i love that there's like there's comedies there's dramas and then there's christmas movies It's, it's 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 its own category of film and there's there's so many uh and so much to like about so many of them because i'm a guy that's always loved christmas and Christmas movies, I think, like you were saying earlier, they make you feel warm like a cup of coke, yeah. a hot cocoa. And yeah, there's there's something to be said for the nostalgia that we bring to them, and and just the way that they make you feel. All right, I got 30 seconds left here. Let me give you one off the beaten path a little bit, uh, yeah. and it's not totally off the beaten path, but Jingle All the Way with Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Sinbad yeah. has some of the greatest lines in a movie that I've ever heard in that movie. And it's, 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 it's usually out of my house more than once uh, during the holidays. Adam, uh, appreciate the time. Good stuff, man. Have a nice holiday. That's great. Anytime we talk about Schwarzenegger, we're doing good. We're doing well. <laughs> it's Sinbad. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's Sinbad. All right, Adam. Appreciate it. Much. Talk to you soon. Yeah, that's Adam Graham, the film critic over at the Detroit News. All right, you win, Brian. Die Hard, a Christmas movie. If Adam says it, it's got to be true. It's got to be true. So uh, you, you win this round. 
It's just not my ha, thing. Ha, ha. I just I I need I like I said I need marshmallows in my hot in my hot cocoa and lethal it's weapon. Not that kind it of couldn't movie. be happier. And, and lethal weapon. All right, got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. Well, Corktown is becoming uh, quite the hot spot for future and and even current uh, EV uh, infrastructure. And now with the IBEW Local Fifty Eight expanding. Uh, their Corktown Detroit headquarters, uh, the Net Zero Energy Center, uh, is set to open with a groundbreaking ceremony to project an unveiling of 11,000 square feet of facility to showcase the latest in renewable energy generation, energy storage, EV charging, and educational space. And Jennifer Meffords, the national co-chair of the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program, and joins us to talk about it. Jen, good to have you. Great to be here. Thanks. Uh, Corktown is is quickly transforming into a a spot uh, for for EV drivers. But talk to me a little bit about what the IBW Local Fifty Eight um, and and what they're going to be able to do in this new facility. So this is such an interesting addition uh, and really brings in the latest technologies. They began their zero net energy conversion almost 10 years ago and really were groundbreaking at that point in terms of being the first zero net energy facility in really in the country. There were only three at that time. So this 11,000 square foot ex- extension onto their facility allows for a couple of things. It adds it about doubles the capacity of solar production energy from solar. Uh, and those are really interesting ground-mounted solar arrays. They're big, Chris. You can park eight to ten cars underneath them. That's how big they are. They're tall. Mm. They stand, uh, you know, high above the ground, and they track with the sun. Those are also tied to almost a megawatt of battery energy storage that will actually be part of this new addition. So everything that they produce, they can store, and then they can use that energy to power the building to power uh, back into the grid, to feed it into the grid, or to power a lot of the different EV charging stations that they have on site. It's basically a microgrid, and this expansion will make them one of the largest, if not for a period of time, the largest net zero facility in the country. So then how, how does this this facility, um, and, and, and certainly EV charging is, is going to be a big part of this, how does this kind of set the tone or or... Uh, set the stage for what's to come then in the future, uh, even in the near future, on uh, on that front? Yeah, so the facility has, has housed many different types of EV charging stations and really has served as kind of a testing facility for lots of new technologies as they come online. Everything from charging equipment that you or I might use in our home to uh, DC fast charging equipment, um, you and I talked at the auto show about Electric Fish, which was a product that mm-hmm. we tested there that could fully charge a vehicle in 10 minutes. So they continue to cycle new technologies in and out of the facility. A company based out of New York called It's Electric really uh, specializes in curbside charging built for the urban environment, which is something in Detroit that we really need to be thinking about because everybody doesn't live in a home with a garage, right? It's, a, it's an urban environment. So they're actually installing a location down at the ZeroNet Energy Center um, to kind of test it out to see how consumers interact with it. The ZeroNet Center also is a Corktown rideshare facility. So they have a small EV that sits on the property that anyone uh, can come onto property. You just really basically swipe a card, Chris, 
and you take that vehicle out for as long as you want and you bring it back. I find it so fascinating that this this building you talked about it being basically a, a mini a mini electrical grid. Um yeah, and the ability grid. to mm-hmm. the, yeah, the microgrid, sorry, uh, b- yeah. but the ability to store this energy and and utilize it and discharge it however they see fit. Uh you can put it over here, put it over there. Um yeah. and and use it as needed. I think is really interesting. And do you see do you see the future of of almost any building. I mean, is this kind of where it it could go is you could treat um, any facility like this, as long as you have it it equipped the way that the IBW local 58 has it equipped with these type of solar systems, with the infrastructure that's inside. Could we see more of, of these types of facilities popping up? Yeah, we really do in lots of other places around the country. Our neighbors to the south, Ohio, has a lot of battery energy storage and a lot of integration with solar. And really what you always want to be doing is generating energy, storing it, and using it when you want um, or feeding it back into the grid, um, all of those types of things. So this system at the ZeroNet Energy Center, interestingly, is on a smart system. It's tied to the National Weather Service. So mm. the solar panels in Mich- you know, we that will – rotate one follow the sun every day but two when it's a super sunny day it will basically tell the building system to discharge the energy that's been stored a considerable amount of energy in that system to be stored either into that building or back into the grid so the next day when it's really sunny they're producing a massive amount of energy that gets fill those batteries back up again it's a continuous loop and that cycle just continues over and over but that's the technology that makes the ROI on a lot of these installations work. Uh, We see battery energy storage involved in lots of different EV charging installations around the country. We're just starting in Michigan, but I think it will definitely track with the rest of the country. Yeah. And and you weren't kidding. I'm I'm seeing an overhead view of, of the building and those, those solar panels that are basically in the parking lot, they are enormous. Uh, They they are absolutely huge. And it's cool. Yeah. The fact that it's in Corktown is great. And, and I think I think you're right. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of these pop up, uh, hopefully a lot more here in the state of Michigan. Uh, Jennifer Mefford, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. And, and if we don't talk, uh, have a have a nice holiday season. You too, Chris. Thanks. Yep, you got it. That's Jennifer Mefford, the national co-chair of the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program. Uh, in the meantime, um, the uh, speaking of uh the the uh, weather services. NOAA has produced a new forecast for uh, the rest of this month, January and February. And indicators are pointing to the fact that winter this year is going to be a, a whole lot milder than it has been in years past. And, and Brian, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me. I feel like the last couple of winters, every winter has been a little more mild than the last. I mean, last year, it was it was rough because we had a couple of those ice storms that caused the, a ton of power outages. Yeah, but in terms of snow totals, they weren't that high. Oh no, we I had didn't... one big storm at the end of the year. It was that thick, heavy, real thick, heavy snow. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really get hit very hard. And and now Noah's saying that it's going to be it's going to be even milder this year. Yeah, I knew last year we would be mild because. 
I got my snowblower fixed and it was working properly. Of course. And I had yeah. a feeling this year would be the same because I got it out, started it, it's running perfectly. And the minute it ran and it started right up, I told Bev, not going to be any snow this year. It's running. So we're good. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I brought out two shovels because I said the earlier mm-hmm. I bring them out, the less snow I'm going to yeah. get. And we haven't had snow. And we they've have been one sitting... dusting at our house. About an inch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, so it snowed around Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. yeah. Right after Thanksgiving? Yeah. I think it was like a day or two after. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking at my ring doorbell at my house uh, because I was in Florida. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Uh, we got a little snow. <laughs> and Tremendous. it was gone by the next day. Yeah. And it was gone by the time we got home. Yep. But. Perfect. Um, uh, again, it, it seems like it's going to be pretty mild. Yeah. And we're going to get significantly less snow. Now, you go up north. I don't know that they're tracking a more milder winter for up north. Um, I, I think it'll probably be maybe a little less from from what I've seen. Um, but yeah, once you there, get up they into really those, want it up there. So they want it absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, cross country skiing. We we talked about it, but yesterday, um, all that stuff. I mean, it's it's important skiing, snowboarding, tubing. Um, it's huge. It's 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 important to the economy. So they can have our snow. Um, That's okay. They can have our snow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they make snow up there too. All that, all that is generally okay. Yeah, but down here, I mean, I'm okay if we have less snow. That's oh, all right with me. Absolutely, absolutely. But it looks, it looks like we're gonna get less than usual, which I'm, I'm down with. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll talk with Steve Courtney coming up next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Getting you ready for the Mitch Album Show coming up at four oh five. And lots of NFL news to talk about. And that, we bring in one Stephen Q. Courtney. Hello, Stevie. What's going on there, Chris? Hello again, everyone. Uh, this chat brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field, the W's indeed stacking up. Wing Wheelers having a year, huh? Back uh, skating tonight. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Not to mention the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a proud partner of the Inside Outside Guys show, would like to wish Metro Detroit a very Merry Christmas this holiday season. As the new year approaches, log into WindowsRoofingSiding.com to enter Performance Remodeling's $100,000 window of Opportunity Sweepstakes. It appears, young Chris, that the uh, coaching career, as it applies to Bill Belichick, is over with the New England Patriots. As a matter of fact, uh, Bill Belichick was himself yesterday repeating the same answer to the question about his job status. I'm getting ready for Kansas City. Uh, Belichick's 3-10 and team hosts the Chiefs on Sunday, a game that was flexed, by the way, from ESPN's Monday Night Football, mainly because the Patriots are not good. Uh, that does not sit well with owner Robert Kraft. He was very clear about his expectations. Entering the fourth season since Tom Brady bolted for free agency, which pained Kraft to no end, apparently, uh, the 82-year-old said last March that it was very important that the Patriots make the playoffs. Chris, that's not happening. They were officially eliminated from the postseason last Sunday when the Bengals took care of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, The Patriots have also 
clinched their third losing season in four years since Brady signed with Tampa. Uh, that does not sit well either uh, with Mr. Kraft. And then we find out from a reputable source, NBC Sports Boston, citing anonymous sources that the Patriots and Belichick would indeed split after this season. A decision that reportedly was made after the team's 10-6 loss to the Colts, that in Frankfurt, Germany, on November 12th. You know, Chris, I know you got some other things you'd like to discuss. Um, but when you take a look at the resume, that is Bill Belichick, 24-year head coach of the uh, Patriots, the longest in the NFL, and uh, it's the fifth longest tenure by a head coach with one team. You know, six Super Bowl championships. He is second all-time in total wins, regular season, and playoffs to Don Shula. And everybody all of a sudden is taking it upon themselves to rip this guy. He's 71 years old, folks. You know, he has done things in this league that's not easy. Uh, and he's put together championship after championship. And we don't have time to get into, you know, was it Brady? Was it Belichick? You know, it was. you're comparing apples to oranges because the personnel was in place during that great run uh, with Brady, Gronk, all these guys. The fact of the matter is they won six Super Bowls together. I'm not going to jump yeah, on the dude. It's hard to dispute. I mean, I, I jump on him a little bit because it, it feels like the game's passed him by a little bit. And he really is the general manager. He's the head coach. So he is very much responsible for that team. And look, we're not doing Patriots football here, but, you know, they stink. I mean, they are terrible. They are just not competitive. And we, we know what that looks like here in Detroit. So, yeah, you know, I, for a guy falling from the, the, the pedestal, you know, it's time to move on. Nobody's job's ever safe. Well, and if look, it's the golden rule, Chris. If you hang around somewhere long enough, it's going to have its ebbs and flows, right? Totally. Uh, but the run he had was rather historic. That's my point. Now, the question becomes, and there's been some discussion that maybe the Patriots will trade Bill Belichick. Again, he's 71. <laughs> Is his coaching career... Once he parts ways with New England, is it over? Because there's all sorts of speculation that he could end up in Carolina with that crazy owner. Let me ask you this then, Steve. If if we were sitting in the same spot we were pre-Dan Campbell, and like let's say all of this is happening today. So... You know, Patricia ruins the team. Mm-hmm. They were in a oh. they were in a a, a terrible, terrible situation. Quinn, the whole deal. If this were now and Bill Belichick was on the trading block, would you want to trade for Bill Belichick? Seeing what this this organization has come to. Well, to be honest with no. you, it, 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 no, no, uh, not at no. uh, not at seventy one years of age. No, um, but you know what? That being said, he's got roots with the uh, Lions organization. Would they have taken a look at it based on the scenario that you painted? I think they would have. Um, can't say for sure, um, yeah. but we'll see. I, I am very interested to find out uh, once they go their separate ways. Uh, what what goes on with one Bill Belichick? I agree. Meanwhile, big news for the Lions: if CJ if CJ Gardner Johnson is able to come back, uh, he has been medically cleared to return. He suffered a pec injury after just two weeks, and has been sidelined ever since. This is a guy who went to the Super Bowl with Philadelphia. He is obviously, it was and still continues to be, a vocal leader for this team. Um, he is a, in my mind, one of the top five safeties in the league, ten safeties in the league, really good player. 
And and they missed him immediately when he went out, but they went on a winning streak and continued to pile up wins. And now that they're on a bit of a downslope, now that they're 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 just trying to finish off this year strong, win the division, try to get to a home playoff game and win it. Um, having C.J. Gardner-Johnson back, I just can't understate it. it. It would be so good for this team to have that veteran presence on the back end. Yeah, not to mention uh, just the, the ability in his two appearances this season, started in both games while registering 13 total tack- uh, tackles with two passes defended. Uh, look, you're talking about a Lions defense right now. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson, uh, oh, welcome back, baby. Uh, the Lions D has allowed 25 or more points in five straight games. That, Chris, is the longest active streak in the National Football League. Uh, it has been soft. Uh, and for them to get to where they want to be, and Dan Campbell is big into this, we just got to get back to who we are. C.J. Gardner-Johnson will help you on that defensive side of the ball. There's no question about it. And they need it. They need it. They need it. They need – and and look um... – it's not no pressure on Aaron Glenn, but you know the the defense I thought was better against Chicago. But this Denver team, I know it's at home, it's at night. They they fared well in those games, but they need to continue to find creative ways to get pressure to get to the quarterback. And you got to keep the quarterbacks in the pocket. You don't need to go on stunts that aren't called. Let's keep everybody yeah, contained. And perhaps uh, the most important thing is you, you, you got to take care of the football, please. Enough yeah. is enough. Uh, yeah. Denver is on somewhat of a roll. They don't need your help. And while we're talking about that, uh, unforced errors from a penalty standpoint, pre-snap penalties yeah. have killed the Lions. It's got to stop. Yeah, they got to clean it up. Uh, what do we got coming up uh, today on the show? Uh, it is going to be an action-packed broadcast. Uh, that's all I can tell you. Um, okay. Mitch is in the home stretch of the uh, book signing tour 2023. Yep. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about every pertinent story under the umbrella. As you do. Uh, Stephen, thank you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Mitch Album coming up next. See you tomorrow. Same time, same place.